podcast. Today's episode is Conventional Wisdom, where we talk about board game conventions. Today, joining you, as always, is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Welcome, everyone. I hope you're staying healthy and safe and happy. We're trying to do so and looking forward to the possibility of conventions reopening or back to the memories of when they were open, depending on how this year shapes out. How have you been, Nathan? Doing good. Doing good here. I'm actually off this week, so that's fun. Get to play some more heavy games this week because I have more time now. And Scott's really looking forward to that <laughs> because of our board game a day challenge. The amount of quick games is almost non-existent at this point. We played yesterday Dead Man's Draw. Oh yeah, I like that. Yeah, because he hates it. <laughs> He's like, this is so stupid. So the first game we ever played of it, he kept busting, not because he was pushing to get a bunch of points but he was just it was like the second or third card and he would bust that like soured him on it and when it came to my turn i would like do all these cool things and then he was like okay my turn and then he would draw two cards and bust so that really like put a damper on his opinion of the game i feel mm -hmm. yeah not his favorite so i've been holding off on it until a quick last ditch effort i guess <laughs> to add it into the board game a day challenge I'm in the 130s now, so... Well, yeah. you have your work cut out for you. I actually don't mind that Draw. We mentioned it when we talked about Push Your Luck games a few episodes ago. I find it is true that it's often almost a completely random game. It's one of those games where you can make a mistake rather than you can play it well. But it takes seven minutes, <laughs> so... <laughs> There is that, and it's exciting when it, when things work, when it can go, oh, I need the seven different cards to win this game, and it works, and it's amazing. So we haven't played anything that controversial at home. We play games that we actually like. <laughs> so what? we have almost reached the end of Clank Legacy, but I'll talk about that more when we are finished. We have one more to go. We played the Rune Age, which... Considering your rediscovered love for Dominion, it was interesting for me to go back to another deck builder, which is not a cooperative, or it doesn't need to be a cooperative like Harry Potter, and is not the original deck builder like Dominion. It is from Fantasy Flight. The designer is Kari Konitska, which is certainly my favorite Fantasy Flight author in general. So regular standard Fantasy Flight Tarinoth art, the thing that you can see in uh, Roombound and Descent and all of that jazz. Basically, it comes with different modes where one is cooperative, another is a race, another you're trying to kill the opponents, another you're trying to kill an enemy that can also kill you but is not a player. But the big thing is that each faction as their own set of acquirable cards. So not only you are building a deck that is different, but the options you have are different. And then there are some common options in the middle of the table. And it is interesting because you use deck building to do something. You have fights either against static targets or against other players where each card you play influences the other player's card so it brings a lot on top of the builder but it still has that feeling of oh i'm improving my situation because i'm putting new cards into the discard pile 
and it was fun, interesting. We both lost because we focused too much on killing each other rather than on winning the game. Mm-hmm. It was fun nonetheless. So you said it's deck building? It is a deck builder. We also have the expansion, and I don't know how much comes from what, but it's a deck builder. You have six cards you can choose from in the middle plus the gold, so nine cards total with the expansion. That change every game, obviously. And then you have for each faction... Again, with the expansion, you have, I think, seven or six different piles you can buy from of increasing value. So you start with three of your most basic troops and seven gold. But the other interesting thing is that you have basically three things to care about. How much gold you can produce to buy new units, how much influence you can produce with which you buy more gold and more neutral cards I bought with influence, and then the ability of the cards that help you in battle, mainly. But the way you get influence is not through cards, usually it's through fortresses. So you have to get the units to conquer the fortresses with which you get other stuff. So it's very multi-layered. I don't think it's particularly popular. It was played when it came out. It's quite common. It's not a rare game or anything like that. But it never broke through. I think it sits in... A weird place where if people like the simplicity of a dominion, the streamlined elegance, this is wonky and vice versa. If people want a big, involved, variable power game and things like that, they're looking for something more substantial like Rune Wars. But it's really, really good for me. My friend Benji introduced me to it a long time ago at the convention and it was very cheap at the time. I had then got a very beaten up expansion a few years down the line and we have played it quite a bit now and what was it called again rune age is in the tarinot line rune rune age rune bound rune wars and recently heroes of tarinot is basically the fantasy line of fantasy flight their own self-developed thematic universe I've seen it on the shelf a few times when looking for a game to play. Yeah, I, I really like it. We haven't played that much with the alternative setups, but the one we usually play is either you're trying to beat the monster before it kills you all, but it's not co-op, it's a race. Or the other one we have played sometimes is you have to kill everyone else. There is also a 2v1, there is a build a monument, there is the monster but it's cooperative there is another kind of cooperative that we haven't even touched so we don't play it enough to explore everything but for example i have played all of the six or seven factions and they really play differently one of them wants you to constantly trash your cards and therefore go get more another one wants to draw into certain units and so you need to have a lot to create redundancy another one plays with discards the undead basically so it's also for deck builder quite thematic and i was glad to revisit it that sounds interesting i have not ever played it but it does sound like something that probably Scott would like, the cooperative part of it at least. I've played at the Gates of Loyang. Have you played it? Uh, is it Rosenberg? Yep. Yeah, it's the one with the vegetables, right? Yes, yes. Have you played it? I have played it, and I think it was the first time I realized you Rosenberg was not the man he used to be. And he had gone from fun, quirky, interesting games to his new production, which is clearly very well regarded very well thought but that i usually don't find as intriguing and i played it once a long time ago so i'm curious about your more recent opinion because i played it 
five years ago. So I really liked it. I thought it was fun, but also very tight. Like trying to get money, I ended up taking a loan, which is like a huge issue in the game because at the end of each turn, you buy points basically with money and the loan, it can never be repaid. And at the end of the game, you basically lose a spot on the point track. Mm -hmm. So that was painful. (laughs) I don't know. It was fun. I liked it. It was interesting. The helpers who provide one-time powers that you can use were interesting. And I really liked delivering to the regular customers. And I liked it. I thought it was cute it was it didn't take us too long which i feel like is to its success i feel like had it gone much longer i would have not had such a high opinion of it because it was a lot of game i feel like in not very much time i think that an anecdotal fact that speaks to what i was saying before is that it is the winner of the prestigious snr feather best written rules award which i think summarizes what i feel about a lot of Yuri Rosenberg's game, they're clearly smart. It's a smart design, it works. And Gate of Loyang might be a little stranger there. It does some rules that are not as linear as, say, Agricola or Le Havre. And I have your Le Havre sitting on my shelf, by the way. (laughs) But they do work. It's just that I find them not particularly exciting. But there is something that I find dry in his games. And I would consider revisiting this. But, I mean, the pieces look awesome. Speaking of games that are not as complicated and actually very, very simple, I have an important update to make. As of today, I am the record holder of a perfect score. Not today, actually, yesterday. In Parade. I made it. Wow. I made it to zero points in an actual four-player game. And I think I can hang my shoes on the wall and never go on a parade again. Now, I don't know. I <laughs> I was really, really happy. Everything went my way. I had hold on to a zero throughout the game. Parade is a game where you are trying not to distract people from a parade. You play a card in front of the parade. It's basically a card number-based game. And the number of the card that you play determines how many cards you ignore. And of all the ones that you cannot ignore, you take everything that is equal or lower in number or and or of the same color. And so you collect cards, you want to collect none. But at the end of the game, you have also to play two cards from your hand into your collection. And so to score zero, like yours truly managed to do, you have to be lucky enough to have cards that allow you not to get stuff and then also to find the two zeros to play. I had never done it before, and I was very, very happy. It was also a beautiful day playing outside, so it was good. What about you? No, I personally have never gotten a perfect score in Parade. I think the closest I ever came was two points. But yeah, I really like Parade. For me, it has been... I hadn't played it in a while, and I did like playing it yesterday. It is one of those games that I feel like I tend to do the same kind of things in each game. So when I play too often, it gets a little too much for me. And I have played it a lot. But it is very nice. The art is fantastic. The gameplay is... I mean, it can be stressful when you don't know what to play, but overall, it's a relaxing game. And it's nice. And one that you can teach in three minutes, which is also good. Yeah, we played a two-person game of Celestia Mm -hmm. the other day. That was kind of sad. I feel like the game really needs more people. I absolutely agree. I have never played it with 
too. It just got very, oh, I have stuff to save us, but I'm not going to save us because we're both on the ship. Oh, yeah, that's true. You would never, ever use all of the wilds and all of the special things if someone is with you. I hadn't thought about that. I kicked Scott out a few times with the little boat card. It was not what I like about that game. I think the whole thing is the whole push your luck, but it really shines at a higher player count. Mm-hmm. There is a, a variant not official, a guy made it, played with two players with an AI, I think you have the duty to go and try it at some point and report back on whether it makes things better. There are a lot of people who spend a lot of time thinking of variants or thinking of AI to play solo, so some of them are very, very good. I usually don't get into variants that much. I have enough games without going and modify them, but this guy on BGG made a two-player variant in which I'm skimming through it, but basically there is a third captain that draws cards from the deck to try and make it. And so you have some more tension and you can help him and things like that. So it could be interesting. Speaking of games that do have dummy players, basically, I played Teotihuacan again. And okay. It was my worst game of it, which is saying something because I generally don't do great at it. I think I did fine the first time I played it and then never ever again. Both my scores and my position, oh, this is embarrassing, are going down. My score yesterday was off my first game and in my four games I have lost 20% of my points every time I've played. That sounds like a, a good strategy. I should keep doing that. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but it's interesting. It's an interesting game. It plays significantly faster in two players than it does in four, obviously. We were done in an hour and a an half and we even took our time at the beginning rethinking some of the rules, some of the movements. So it's not a streamlined experience because it's still a clunky game, but it really moves at the pace with two players, also in terms of turns. It's a good game, again, in that category of medium to heavy euros. I might prefer others, but this is a very solid, very clean choice. I think what makes it weird for me is that pyramid building thing, which is visually the core of the game and a lot also of the rules point to it. You have technologies that help you there. You are collecting resources to do that but it's not interesting in itself is, oh, where can I fit this pyramid tile here? I got three points. And so I think that's what prevents this from being actually my favorite Tashini game. It was good to revisit. It's always good to alternate more thematic, more fighting-driven games with something that is more purely Euro-y. I, I do like that. So you think it's good at two? I think it's excellent at two. They say the one-player variant, solo mode, whatever, is excellent as well. I haven't tried it. I generally don't play games solo, but if I had to try a Euro solo, this would probably be a very good candidate because there is a lot of just reading the board and what you're trying to do is not so much reading your opponent. Although what your opponent does changes significantly what you can do because the cost of the spaces changes because dice get in the way. But that's more an efficiency management because it means if I take the action that you want to take next, it will cost you one cocoa more, which is the currency of the game. And possibly in some specific cases, impact your score by one or two points when you finally take that action but often that's not the case and also by taking a space i also make it more expensive but if you decide to go for gain currency rather than taking the action 
you can get more currency, more cocoa. And also there are actions that ignore other people's dice. So the way the other players interact with you is by throwing wrenches into your efficiency. And that is something that I think could work with just the board evolving in a solo game. So I'm sure it works well with two because I've tried and I'm curious also on how it would work with one. Well, I volunteer to take on the solo game and report back. Hooray! Yeah, let me know. I'm very curious. The only game I play solo are usually more light things when I wait for brownies to be prepared by people around me. (laughs) (laughs) My wife Anna has gotten into baking, which is very dangerous for my diet, but very good for my taste buds. That's when sometimes I throw out a small solo game, but definitely not Teotihuacan. (laughs) I'm interested with the expansions if you think that they would make it better or not the first expansion the teotihuacan late pre-classic period is a modular expansion which i don't really particularly care for but it says that it gives you asymmetrical player powers which would be very helpful i feel like in this kind of game because i feel when you play this game there's so much going on and there's so many things to do that if you have something to really focus on that you do a little bit better it would really drive your choices so first of all the components of the expansion are phenomenal i hadn't looked at it the art on the special power cards is fantastic because also it's art in a game that is more decorated than having any drawings and the expansion brings that into it i haven't checked it but A, I do actually like modular expansions quite a bit because often, especially for Euros, I find that if there are some elements that I do not like, I don't want that to prevent me from using the others. And that's specifically true of Euros, but it was true also of Battlestar Galactica. All of the expansions were a hodgepodge of modules and I was very happy to be able to use what was good. As you know, I'm not a big fan of asymmetric powers in Euros, but if well written, those could be a resource. I would have to check them out. They see that they have alternative tiles for the base game. Oh, this looks very good in general. I will have to look into it they also have another expansion you were saying yeah it has another expansion shadows of i don't know how to say that x-i-t-l-e but that one it looks like is solely doubling the number of possible technologies that you start with it has just more starting tiles Well, the technology ties are a big deal, but yeah, it looks like a very, very small expansion, which I guess it also depends on how much it retails for. Well, I will look into this. I do like both, and I think especially the first one would make the game be more alluring to me, and so maybe play it more. But as things stand, I have only played the base game four times. I feel like I want to explore it more before feeling the need for an expansion. (laughs) <laughs> I understand. What else have you played? We succeeded at XCOM, the board game, which I mentioned when we were talking real-time games. How? How did you succeed? <laughs> With two players, which makes it harder, at least in my opinion, because you have multiple things to keep track of. Not in terms of time, because every section has its own time. So 
It's not like you're trying to do two things at the same time, but as a cognitive overload, you are dealing with twice the matter. We were very lucky in our first round, and that gave us the breathing space to build up our strategy. With the weather getting better and the restrictions on Rhode Island easing up, we have been getting out more in the afternoon and things like that. We traveled to a little food and area nearby, so we have been playing a little bit less. But the last one that I want to talk about is Jurassic Park Danger, the adventure strategy game, which is a mouthful. And it is basically a Jurassic Park implementation by the Forest Prutzen Creative. So they are in general this part of this new group of designers that work with companies to produce IP-based games. And while, again, this is a very simple game, you select secretly what move you want to make, and then the dinosaur does the same, and the dinosaur is trying to eat you. But it was fun, and I do like dinosaurs a lot. It was a nice refresher. Actually, it might work better with two, or maybe with three, with two characters each, because one player plays the dinosaurs, and that's very interesting you have three dinosaurs you have to combine their actions and choose which one uses their special power every round but when you play with a lot of players the human players have their little guy that moves one space yay that was my turn and then i get attacked by the dinosaurs so having the human player playing two was more interesting and i think that going forward i would want to try it with three players with two players playing two humans each and I think that makes it more fun for everyone involved. Yeah, I remember playing it the one time and I didn't really care for it. Oh, fair enough. Nothing about it really excited me. Mm-hmm. I like the theme enough. The Jurassic Park movies are good, but I wanted to be playing something else. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, it was mostly to revisit it. We hadn't played it in a while, so I wanted to to try it. We got the new Exit games Mm -hmm. that just came out this year. So the Exit games, unlike Unlock, are one-time only games. So it requires you to cut up things or rip things apart or drawn things i really like them there's something to be said about the tactile nature of like cutting through a card or making some sort of shape it's exciting it really i feel brings the escape game feeling home they are clever and i feel like every time i play one of those games they're always coming up with something new to surprise me. I like the Exit, I think, more than the Unlock series. I much prefer the Unlock also because they tend to have fewer, maybe, relevant points. But when they do come to a puzzle, I tend to like the puzzle more. And I feel like you can work on them together. While the Exit things with the manipulation of it, it's often that The person who's manipulating it is playing it and everyone else is observing. But I haven't played that many. I think I played Exit twice. All right. So I think it is time for us to move on to the theme of the day, which is conventions. So interestingly enough, every time I mention to someone else that I play board games, that we have a lot of board games, they're always shocked by the number. They're intrigued by the fact that a lot of them are things they never heard and that they are complex and they're not your typical mass market or chill targeted game. But the one thing that draws the more laughs and the more curiosity is gaming conventions. 
And that applies both to the giant ones. Oh, Gencon draws 60,000 people and Essen in Germany, similar numbers. Or vice versa, the small ones where, oh, I go to this place to spend the day playing with another 100 people that might be strangers to me. And both of those are absolutely uh, mind-boggling to people who are not into it because I think board games are an activity. So people are more surprised by gaming conventions than they are by, say, Comic-Con. You tend to do Gen-Con, right? Do you do any other big ones? I mean, we did PAX Unplugged this past year. Oh, that's true. That's I did that too. I had completely forgot. <laughs> <laughs> So PAX Unplugged, Gen Con, I have done PAX East in Boston. Have you ever been to Origins? No. Me neither. I've heard only good things about Origins, though. Me too. I'm actually very curious because they say it sits in between the very large ones and the smaller ones. Yeah, I too get the odd look when people ask what I do for fun. I like to show off my game room with my three calyxes. <laughs> that are full and then people are like i've never heard of any of those games and i'm like i would be very surprised if you had heard of those games i think that conventions really are such a unique experience because you get to meet new people who are as excited about the gaming hobby and gaming industry as you are it really puts you together in a way that being such a technological society i feel like it puts you in a way that might not otherwise come about naturally. Mm -hmm. Conventions are such a great outlet of the gaming community. Yes, and for me, that applies to, in my mind, I mean, there is not a strict distinction, but I foresee for myself three levels of conventions. One is the day event. So I used to do a little bit more, but I generally don't go to weekly meetups and things like that. I used to do it and I am sad I cannot do it anymore. That's how I met some of my gaming friends to GSG, a group that meets every Tuesday at the game store, relatively closed, and it moved to a farther away and regular life got in the way. But in general, I tend not to be in love with the idea of going to a place, having to wait for people to show up, find a game, and by the time you're done with the game, you are left with scrumples of time. It feels like I spent five hours or six hours between getting there, waiting, deciding what to do, and then coming away, and I have played for two hours. So that I don't do that much, although I have met a lot of people through those things. So now things that are one day where I get there by 10 in the morning and I play ATL 11 at night is how I tend to meet new people. That's how we met you and that we met some other of our friends. It's a great way to refresh and we can talk about that more, but just to quickly finish what I was trying to say. The middle way is conventions where you go to a place for a few days just to play games. And then the third level are the big conventions like the ones that you were mentioning before. And I think they are distinctly different experiences, but they are all connected by this event idea, which I think is a part of their allure. Yeah, I also used to do meetups a lot and 
I was starting to get back into them. I had started doing a weekly game meetup. It was nice to get to know more people. And then they have a monthly event at the community center. And I went to that for the first time and played games there. Yeah, I like those as well. The mini conventions. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that it all comes down to the breaking of regular time, right? When you set apart a day and you know that it's coming and you go there in the morning and you play until night and your meal times shift and when you get out is undetermined at the beginning because you don't know when the game will finish. It's different from simply, oh yeah, on Wednesday night I play at the library, which is more in line with, oh yeah, every Friday night friends come over and we play, which are great things. I love doing them, but they don't have the exceptionality of the event set apart i also noticed that some of my friends apparently they need i don't know if with themselves or with their families the excuse of the event like if you tell them oh why don't we meet next weekend and play from saturday morning at nine to sunday night at nine oh no no i I cannot do that on a weekend and then you tell them oh if you want we could go to this convention it is this weekend oh sure let me book the hotel right yeah (laughs) there is this uh, the event justifies us i think that's a byproduct of our work-oriented society but justifies us to spend the time doing what we enjoy in a way that some people don't feel justified in just willing to do it. They need the event. One of the things that I think makes a difference for me is whether I'm staying at a convention or not. Because I noticed that, for example, TotalCon, which is one of the local conventions, I tend to look forward to it less than others because being close, I can go back and forth from it. Therefore, I don't need to squeeze it in the budget with your talent, things like that. And therefore, it becomes less unique than others. But while I'm saying this, I'm thinking that the other local convention I go to, which is Lobster Trap in November, that's also at an hotel. And I don't always stay at the hotel, but I still really, really look forward to it. So I don't know what's about TotalCon. Maybe the fact that it's too big to be really close community of, oh, I meet with these people to play like the quarterly is or like lobster trap is, but it's not big enough to have a giant convention hall and all of the big events. So probably I'm realizing that I either like conventions that are strictly playing focus or the day long event or lobster trap, but even Dice Tower Con is strictly gaming oriented or I like the giant ones. I probably find the middle size ones a little dispersive for the gaming part and not exciting enough for the event part. So which one is your favorite size? Do you prefer the big ones or the small ones? The giant conventions. <laughs> Those are my favorite because there's opportunities to play with people if you look for them at Lucas Oil Field specifically talking about Gen Con, they convert the whole football field into gaming area. There's a huge library of different games that you can try out. There's sections for demos. So it's a huge area where you can really get the smaller time gaming convention sort of feel if you need a break from the immense hall where there's all the different people and all the different demos and selling the new games. And I feel like I just, I love Gen Con and I'm hoping that we get to go this year. Also selfishly because 
we got a really good housing selection with the lottery this year. Well, I certainly hope they don't cancel it. I haven't bought my badge yet. At this point, I will probably wait for them to either confirm or deny <laughs> the happening of the event. Yeah. Also, because at this point, I fear like Anna might have booked something else work-wise. So I might be on my own and I don't know if I feel like the drive, but I'll see. So... Do we want to get into our favorite things about convention? I would try to make a list of those, even if, of course, they are not maybe as ranked as games usually are. Yeah. So what is one of your favorite things about conventions? I think that one of the ones I want to mention is the way Mills in particular was thinking, but general life interacts with the convention. For example, um, deciding when to go to eat and where to go, which you're limited in choices, but at the same time, they tell me you need to do it. Although sometimes I get chastised by friends and family because when I am at convention, I forget about eating, drinking, <laughs> and anything that is not getting a shower in the morning and then playing the entire day. But that moment of, okay, at some point we need to break from this very interesting activity that we are clearly all passionate about because we are all at the gaming convention and sometimes you schedule it with someone, but what often, often happens is that you end up getting together with, at the same time, people that you are really friendly with and people that maybe you just met or people that just happen to be there. And that has happened when we went for a quick takeout with two guys that we had just next to us. And I said, oh, you're going for food. We're coming with you. And then we ended up playing together for the rest of the night or vice versa with someone we had spent time playing with you. When we met you, we then went for food together or with friends that we see at convention and we go. And sometimes it's four, sometimes it's 10 people. Sometimes it's a quick bite and sometimes it's, okay, no, let's do it today. Friday, we do it. We really go to a, a steakhouse or a restaurant. And a real meal. A, re a real <laughs> meal. And, and that becomes part of the experience. And I think that specifically in the longer conventions, that's a great thing. I know that some people also do podcast related or YouTube channel related or some group related meals. I haven't ever done those. Like the, oh, the 200 fans of this thing will go together to this thing. I'm thinking more of the self and spontaneous aggregation. And sometimes it's a thing you do every year. Like I have dear friends at Lobster Trap that every year they go to this Polkari restaurant. I know that that's their Friday night thing and they have been doing it for 15 years. And it's not a closed thing, but it's not an event either. Is They will go there and some of their friends will go with them. And it's great. I think it's a great way to be together with people you are connected to by games, but not strictly playing games. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot of fun, especially when it's in a different area that you've never been before. For me, Scott and I had never been to Philadelphia when we went to PAX Unplugged. So it was a completely new experience, and I loved going to the different little places nearby and really getting to experience Philadelphia. So I think that's a good thing about conventions, too, is that they're all over the place. There's ones on the West Coast, there's some on the East Coast, there's some in the Midwest, there's some down in Florida. So it's all over the place, and you really get the opportunity to experience the location where you are, in addition to spending a bunch of time playing games. 
Mm-hmm. And what is one of your favorite things? My favorite things about conventions include games that you can more easily play at conventions. Mm-hmm. So I'm a fan of the bigger game experience games, such as Two Rooms and a Boom, or even games where you want a higher player count are easier, like Secret Hitler. Mm-hmm. So it's great to be able to have the opportunity to play those kinds of games because you really want the higher player counts for those. And at a convention, especially the size of Gen Con, you are never looking for people for those kinds of games because they are constantly full. They are constantly running. They are just so fun. And so I really like the experience of those. They make you interact with a whole mess of different people. (laughs) And so I think that that's a lot of fun for people who don't know two rooms and a boom is a game where you are on either a red team or a blue team and the blue team wants to help the president survive and the red team wants the president to get blown up by a bomb that is on the red team and they do that by either keeping the president and the bomb in the same room or by separating them that would be how the blue team would win and then there are tons and tons of different kinds of people and roles that you can get and then additionally there are gray people who are not on red or blue but they want their own specific win conditions there's so many different things there are zombie cards now with the new expansion that came out there's all different kinds of things so it's a huge game it really needs you know a good amount of people at least like 20 to play and really get the full experience out of and i cannot say enough good things about it i've tried to play that game i purchased it shocker right i've tried to play that game with less people and it has not been as successful and i'm constantly trying to recreate that convention experience that you get from it and i have not yet had enough people in one place that were willing to play that game (laughs) yeah for me as well while two rooms and a boom is definitely not high on my preference but yeah it makes all for example the social deduction games like resistance and secret hitler and one night to do my werewolf quicker to organize often those that are much less setup heavy than two room and a boom you can play it into the night oh we have time for one last game it's one in the morning there are a few people spread out through the room anyone wants to play this as a last game and you get people but for me as well conventions are a place i almost always play Battlestar galactica for example i get to play rex from time to time and then i would be remiss if i didn't mention ra which is my favorite game that i do not own and we have made it a specific choice not to own it because it has become our convention game. And every time I go to any convention that is not the giant ones like Jenkin or Pax and Plague, but everywhere I go where the point is to play games with friends, someone has Ra and I regularly get to play it. And so I have now a hard time distinguishing how much I like the game, which is quite a lot. I think it's a very good game, Ra by Ranagnizia. But at the same time, it is the game that I play at convention with friends. And that's way too. If I can move to my next favorite thing is the constant level of excitement and the haze of games that I get into. I don't drink coffee. At gaming conventions, usually they are in hotels, so Coca-Cola. 
becomes very expensive. So I tend not to consume that either. So I'm completely off caffeine. And yet I have more energy than at any other point in my regular life, except maybe when I'm traveling. And this applies both to the big, big ones. I constantly have more games to see, but even to things like Jackie Con, the conventions that we run twice a year for my birthday. And it would have been this weekend. Buhis. Indeed. And that's three days of basic playing from Friday night to Sunday night. And there are constantly people getting there. And it's always what I love is that conventions are where the time bends, basically. Everything else is pushed away and you transition seamlessly from a game into the next game. You never have a problem finding people. You never have a problem finding a game. Then you go to for food. And as I said before, that's something that it's between games and you have thought about it is not a chore. You don't have to go to the supermarket and shop. You go together and then you come back and you keep playing and then you go to sleep only when you are too tired. And as soon as you wake up, there is an entire room full of early risers ready to play and you start playing again <laughs> especially when they extend over five or six days like they start con does you lose track of what day it is you lose track of what time it is i guess that's the feeling that regular casino goers get from las vegas or you never see the light of day right and that's the same you're in a convention center you're somewhere all of the hours merge into one and it's an extended excitement of games and i i love that yeah that is a great part about conventions. Another thing that I love about conventions is people watching. So <laughs> it's always fun to me to see the different people in our community, especially at like the bigger conventions. You get so many different people and so many different types of people and you get to see the different people who come in like cosplay and the little dog that runs around at Gen Con. I think it's Gandalf. Oh yeah, the one that I stopped as a wizard, yeah. Yeah, so I think that that's a lot of fun, like to just see people in the community and get to see different aspects of what you think a gamer looks like. So I'm constantly shocked and surprised by certain people that I see at conventions and I really enjoy seeing when people are dressed up in something that they really like and they own. They look so confident and free and they get to just, you know, have fun and be that person for the day. When I was sitting down to make this list, I had not originally considered it as one of my favorite things, but it really is such an intriguing experience if you have never been to a convention. For me, I'm a city person, so I like getting lost in a crowd. That's why I I love, love, love New York City. I love walking around and just being one of a bunch of different people. And so that's why I think I also love conventions is because you're just one in this sea of people that you can blend in if you want, or you could stand out if you want. Yeah. And it's just that kind of experience that I really love. Absolutely. And beside, obviously, the cosplay, I'm generally not a big fan of costumes, but cosplays, I don't do it. I don't have the dedication or the outgoingness to do it. But looking at people who pour their heart into the costume and their persona is great and the parade at the big conventions is great. But as you were saying, also just the people who are around. And what I find interesting is when you actually do get lost in this sea of people and yet you keep meeting the people that you know. Maybe someone you've played a game with, maybe someone you've met at another convention, you see them, you shake their hands, and then at some point, since it's a lot of people, but in a 
comparatively contained space. Again, it's not New York City, right? It's a convention center, too full of people, but still the same spaces. So you cross paths maybe three times during the convention and you say hi. And so it's nice that thing between look at all of these interesting strangers and yet I notice people. I notice you. Well, yep. you are particularly easy to spot because you and Scott tower over people. But <laughs> but even for um, shorter people like me, <laughs> we get to meet each other and say hi. And that's both the vastness of the people the peculiarity of the people and you were saying you can blend in or you can be unique and stand out or do both depending on the time what else is on your list of things that you enjoy about conventions my favorite thing about conventions and obviously it was very hard to make a choice because i do love them i love the small ones and i love the big ones and so there are different things that are characteristic of one or the other but the most unique thing the one thing that i can only do at jankon and dessen and pax east only at the very giant ones is the exhibition hall so i have dear friends who go to conventions even the big ones to for example play a lot of role-playing games my friend bob he goes with friends they sign up for different dnd experiences and there are recurring events and things like that i have never done that but they sound fascinating a friend of mine spent the entirety of a dice tower con playing connected series of role-playing games adventures another friend of mine tom who obviously i would be remiss if i didn't mention that he was at one point the gen con champion of game of thrones the car game and he likes tournaments he goes there for these big unique tournaments like magic players do and i have no idea where they find the time because what we do at the big conventions from the time they open to the time they close on Sunday afternoon or night, Anne and I scout the exhibition hall very methodically. We start in one corner and we make our way through every aisle of that convention hall. And I have normally, in the recent years, I have been dedicated and studied in advance. I have a list of what each booth as to offer and we make a point to talk with the exhibitors talk with these budding designers both the big ones that are their big next success from simon or fantasy flight and the small ones who are trying to bring up their home printed game and you get exposed to so much stuff often people offer demos and we usually say we don't have time for a demo give us two minute pitch and despite that we never, ever finish before Sunday morning. And it's so immersive. It's a constant stream of information and emotion and people and colors and themes and new game mechanisms and bad games. And games that sometimes you make a terrible, terrible gaffe because you go, oh, it's a nice prototype. When is this going to be published? And they go, oh, no, no, this is our finished product. And you feel like a jerk. <laughs> but still, that thing is irreplaceable and that's why i was very happy to be able to go to pax and plaque while it is not as impressive at Gencon, it still gave me that vibe of look at all this stuff which i had missed because i missed Gencon last year yeah so it's not a surprise that the exhibition hall is also my favorite thing about conventions so i do sit down for demos i will sit down and play through a game or a couple rounds of a game to really get a feel for stuff the thing that i do differently though so i also do a bunch of research because board game geek provides a very comprehensive and very informative list 
of games that are coming out, if they're going to be for sale, how much they are. Sometimes you can pre-order them through links on their website. And I have done my research in the past few times we've gone. So what I do first is I look at the hottest games that are coming out and I say, okay, (laughs) this game is here. This game is here. And the first moment when they open those doors, Dan my friend from Wisconsin and I split up. We both know where we're going and we purchase games. That is the first thing we do on the first day when it opens, because I have had the experience, unfortunately, of really wanting a game and having it be sold out or being sold out and unable to get it until its retail release, which sometimes is not for a whole year. There was a game that just came out recently that was listed as a new release. And I was like, oh, my God, I got that at Gen Con last year. Like just last week. So it is such a cool experience to sort of be the first to get the shiny new games. I do like sitting down for demos as well because I feel like it is a very unique experience to get a demo, especially from someone who has a lot of knowledge about the game. I have sat down for demos of games where people were not informed about the game. And I was like, oh, well, what do I do now? And they were like, oh, I don't know. So I've had the experience of people who are really excellent demoers and people who have been not the greatest, (laughs) we'll say. But yeah, definitely the new releases, the pre-releases are so exciting and so much fun to check out. Yeah, I must say that I don't buy that many games. First, because it would be risky because as I said, I'm super excited. So if I bought anything that sounded interesting, I would buy everything and I need the cool off. Usually it's our activity when we drive home from a convention afterwards. So we have many hours in the car. And so we go through our list again and say, okay, this was actually interesting. And we talk about it. But also the few times that I knew I wanted something and we tried very hard to get it, we rushed without running because it's forbidden to the booth and they got sold out by the time we made it to the cashier. Once our friend Tim was the first person not to get a copy of the game for us (laughs) and he had volunteered to try and be our person in line, but it failed. I now have enough games that I don't need to have the next one right away but it is great to see things and now i really want to go to GenCon. i know talking about the conventions really fuels my hope that gen con will happen this year so if it does i will be there and i'm interested to see how this year will be very different from other years i am conflicted on the one hand i really want them to go forward and be able to go and see if I can find a way to go. But at the same time, I'm worried that they will be compelled to do it because if they are not officially canceled, they cannot cancel without losing too much money. I worry about people going even if they shouldn't for their personal health. And I worry about, in general, where the line is between I really want to do this and I really don't want things that I like to create a problem for other people. And so I am conflicted. I will see what happens. Luckily, it's not a decision that I have any input in. So I don't <laughs> I, I don't need to come. I can just hope for the best and be done with it. But it's interesting to see what will happen. 
Yeah, even the general aspect of social distancing and how that will work and is everyone going to be wearing masks? There's so many questions about what's going to happen. So I look forward to getting some answers here in the next upcoming weeks as Gen Con draws closer and closer. And by the time things go back to normal, whether it's Gen Con or something else, I guess that most people who hear this will have known at least, if not been to a convention, at least a local one. But in the random chance that you have not, try and consider it. I'm sure when all of this is done, things will start getting back to quasi-normal and smaller conventions will probably be the first one to spring up again because they don't have to deal with 50,000 people, but maybe with 50 or 100. And I, for all that we said, for that you, Nathan, said, and uh, I listed and you reminished, it's such, such a great experience and don't miss out on it. Definitely. So that is the takeaway is to check out conventions, not only the big ones, but also the local little ones that are a bit more accessible to you. Oh, I was going to say something else. Go ahead. Have you seen that Renegade is doing a virtual convention? Yeah, I've seen a lot of those and I have zero interest in any of those. <laughs> I do understand why companies and Dice Tower convention was canceled and they switched into a virtual event. But for me, I don't particularly like playing board games online. I rather play video games or read a book or watch a movie, anything. And second, having to coordinate. The one thing that is good about playing online is that you can just pop it up whenever you have a chance. So I really don't understand that, but more power to everyone who enjoys it. I do understand that some people, that's their main gaming outlet. And again, happy for them. I will not be setting time aside to join a virtual convention. The only thing that I would do is maybe check out some of the demos. Like if they're going to be showing demos of a board game. Having to learn a game, again, as you said, people have a hard time giving demos in general. Having to do that on top of the online experience, it's definitely not me. Well, I think I'm probably going to check out the Renegade one, even if it's just for a little bit. So I will report back as to how it goes. Good. Buy me something. Okay. It's always good. Okay. No, no, I'm joking. I don't I don't want to push you to buy even more games. <laughs> I don't want responsibility in that. Okay. And I think with this, this brings our episode to a close. This has been Conventional Wisdom. As usual, thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We are on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram, all under Board Game Gambit. We're on BGG for those of you who prefer to comment there and get in contact with us. You can do that on BGG, on Instagram, on Facebook, and even via email at boardgamegambit at gmail.com. We are happy for any feedback and any comment you might have and consider sharing and subscribing. So thank you so much for listening. I cannot express enough how thankful we are to our listeners and we hope that you enjoy it enough that you would want to share it or spread the word about our podcast so thank you so much my name is nathan thank you and i'm jackie thank you and goodbye bye